Welcome to our Friday night fellowship. If this is your first time here, I'd like to yeah, welcome you guys. This evening, our passage is going to be Luke. I'm mean, sorry, Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-two to twenty-six. Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-two to twenty-six. Mark chapter eight, verse twenty-two. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man. To Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he said, His hands, he laid his hands. On his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Lord God, thank you again for your word and allowing us to see just a little bit more of who you are. And Lord, I do hope that. You can continue to give us a greater clarity of who you are, a greater desire, and a greater love for you. And knowing that you have, at one point in history, that's written down in the accounts of the book of the four Gospels, is your life, your perfect life. Lord, help us know you more and model our lives after you. Be with us this evening. Allow us to have attentive ears. Allow us to have the eyes to see your words. May it change our hearts. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. There's a man, well, he was a boy at one point, but his name was Daniel Kish. And when he was a toddler, he happened to have eye cancer. And his parents, obviously loving him, decided to operate and amputate and to basically take out his eyes so that he can live but as a result of that, he spent his, most of his childhood unable to see. He would eventually have these uh, fake eyes that he would put into, his, uh, into the sockets of his eyes so that at least he, if people were to look at him, they would get the impression that he actually has eyes. But it was around the time where he was like an elementary school kid when he decided or rather his parents encouraged him, and he eventually decided that he did not want to be treated differently. So if you've heard, if you, some of you might even have heard of this guy. This guy is notorious because he's known, his nickname is the, the Batman. And the reason why he is that is not because he fights crime at night, but rather he makes these clicking noises like a bat. He would click, and he would hear, and he would actually be able to discern how far things are and not only that, he was able to even discern objects. He, he had this a unique ability. He said that he would just click uh, uh, with the tongue to the top of his, the top, the roof of his mouth, and he would make this clicking noise. And gradually, he learned to even ride a bicycle using this clicking noise. And he would go and live life, and people to the point where people didn't even realize that he was blind. He would ride bikes. He would climb trees, and on the surface. He seemingly lives a normal life. Now, at this age, he's like around 50-something years old. 
and he is part of this nonprofit organization where he's trying to get other blind kids to almost adopt his lifestyle, that they don't have to be treated uh, differently just because they are blind. And we can see that even though blindness is in our society, it's, it's looked down upon, not in a sense of a negative way, but there's definitely a compassion to those that are blind. Uh, there's a lot of accommodations. There are a lot of things that people will try to uh, do and a lot of research and resources that are poured into so that the blind could fit into the world, that they could make it seem as though they are not missing out. But what is worse than not being able to see in this life is not being able to see the spiritual realities that we, that we see in Scripture. There are different organizations and technology that has advanced to help people with blindness, but when it comes to spiritual blindness throughout history, there is only one known cure, and that is believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 8, we are uh, toward the middle of the book of Mark, and uh, throughout these last several chapters, Jesus has been trying to show his disciples that he is God. Uh, he has performed a tremendous amount of miracles, and each time it seems he does a different miracle, uh, the disciples seem to struggle with his divinity. Uh, they're close to him, they see him, and I think this book is written for the readers to know and to see that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he is worth living and dying for. Chapter 8 begins with him feeding the 4,000 and the uh, people, the disciples saw Jesus, were, was able to give this whole 4,000 multitude of people tremendous amount of food with just little pita bread and some fish, but yet they still doubted. They still had their moments of uncertainty. And Jesus challenges them by asking him things like, do you remember what he's done in the past? And even uh, though he tried to teach them this valuable lesson about uh, the leaven and avoiding the leaven of the Pharisees and, the, and Herod, the disciples missed the main point. They thought that Jesus was talking about bread, and Jesus confronts them. And you remember last week, I said in the, in the cross-reference in the book of Matthew, the disciples hurtled up, and they said, they huddled together, and they realized that Jesus was not talking about actual bread. Now at this point, they've reached the land again, and Jesus is going to show another miracle. But there is something unique about this miracle because this miracle is the only, it's only here in the book of Mark. And if you've been following along with this, whenever you see J Jesus do a miracle, he does it instantaneously, especially the ones that are about like healing or restoring limbs and things like that. He does it as immediate healing. But this one is different. You notice that just that he had to spit in this person's eye and he had to lay his hands on him. And so it was like a two-step process. And different commentators wonder why that is. In fact, charismatics would use this verse and say, the reason why their healings don't work is because it takes time and takes uh, different stages in order for people to be completely healed. But why is this miracle so different from the rest? And I do believe the reason why Jesus did this is not because he was losing his power as, he, as he's going towards the cross. He's going to do a little bit more miracles after this. But I think he's doing this because he's trying to teach the disciples something that's more profound than healing the person's eyes. Because remember, he asked them, do you not remember, do you not understand? And he's trying to show them who he is. 
And I think this is a parable in a lot of ways to show the disciples what spiritual life is like. That although the disciples were in this privileged position of learning and living with Jesus Christ, they still fail. And faith takes time to mature. And seeing with spiritual eyes and to develop that sight takes time. And Jesus, in a lot of ways, is that the way I interpret this is that he's doing this as a parable for them, like an acting out parable. Uh, if you are familiar, if you're an adult too, and um, when we talk through Ezekiel, Ezekiel would do some things like that. He would just do something very theatrical and as will teach this profound truth. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He wants to show the disciples and those watching the different steps in our spiritual journey. He wants them to know what a spiritual life is like. So with that said, I have just three scenes that, that really, from this story that parallels our spiritual life. Three scenes that parallel our spiritual life. The first scene, we can title it, The Invitation. The Invitation. Look at verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and pleaded with him to touch him. This is a new scene. The disciples came to this spot, Bethsaida. This is about 80 miles from Jerusalem, and it's most likely where Peter, uh, where Andrew and Philip is from. This is a very small fishing community, and there is a possibility that the disciples know this blind man. Uh, obviously, in this culture where majority of people can see, even if there is 100 people that are, are blind, they, people will take notice. And this is a small town, so there is a possibility that when they saw this blind man come to Jesus, that they recognized him. Like, oh, that was the guy that I walked past all those years ago, or that was the guy that, um, that needed money, or that I helped at one point. The disciples were familiar with this location, and there's a possibility that they know this man as well. And you notice, they said, and they, and this is not the disciples here, I think there's some, another group of people I think these are the friends of this blind man. They, came, they brought him. Uh, they, it's most likely they carried him. Um, if you ever have, I, I remember having a blind friend in college, and one of the things that he taught me uh, to do to help walk, guide him around was that I had to hold my arm like this, and he would kind of go close to me and put his hands on my elbow, and then when I go like this, it means he can have a lot more space, and when I tuck it, my arms in, that means that we're going through a narrow space. I don't think that was what's going on at that time. I think they were just putting this guy on this, uh, some sort of bed, and they would carry him to Jesus. And this, again, blindness at the time, some people might have uh, been born with blindness, and some people might have developed blindness over time. But either way, he was brought by some friends to Jesus, and they pleaded with Jesus. Uh, the Nazbi uses the word implored, the, another translation used begged, and they were caring for this one blind friend of theirs, and they're begging Jesus to touch him. They knew about Jesus. Jesus' reputation had gone out all over the, uh, the, the land, and they heard of him, and they want their blind friend to see again. They know that, that as long as they touch Jesus, as long as Jesus touches this individual, he could gain back his sight. These people heard of Jesus, and they, were, and they had this love for this friend, so they went to introduce him, to, they introduced Jesus to this blind man. 
you understand that this parallels our spiritual life as well because at one point, someone had to bring us to Jesus Christ. We were all at one point blinded by our sin and someone had to walk the, through the gospel with us. They had to bring us through either a narrative of the gospel or they had to explain to us who Jesus Christ is. And at some point, you and I must, need to, must do that as well. We need to do the same for other people. When we received our spiritual sight, we begin to understand what humanity is all about and how we fall in, uh, we're fallen creatures because of our own sin and that we need rescuing. And once we have been rescued, we will want to invite other people to behold and know this Jesus as well. At some point, you must have compassion for people to meet Jesus those who are spiritually blind, you want to show them the truth. You want to show them the light that is in Jesus Christ. The, the, the blind man and his friends, they understood that Jesus can do something. It's, it's possible that their friends had at one point went to different cultic people or different witch doctors or different groups of people to try to heal this blind man, and it all clearly they all failed. But Jesus, they went once, and, that was, and, and, and Jesus was able to heal them. Jesus, this is the first time they've encountered Jesus. And it's this last time that they needed to go and bring his friend around. Do you invite friends and family or coworkers, people in your life that do not know Christ, do you invite them, not necessarily to church, though that's, one, that's a good thing, but do you invite them to come to saving faith? The greater that you love Jesus Christ, the greater desire you'll have to invite others to his kingdom. Your love for God will have a direct correlation to your evangelism. You can't say that you love Jesus if you don't tell others about Jesus. If I, I mean, some of you guys see my kids with me, and they're not here with me now, but if hypothetically I was embarrassed by my kids, how would I show that? openly. How would you know that I'm embarrassed with my kids? If, if I'm not, by the way, but just, let's just say that I am. What are the signs that would make people know that, oh, I don't think he has a good relationship with his kids. I'll try to hide them away, or I won't talk to them. I might be cold to them. Uh, I might not introduce them to people. And the reason is because I'm ashamed of my children, or I'm embarrassed of them. That's, there's different ways and outward things that people will do if they're embarrassed. And I think that's how sometimes we view Jesus Christ. We don't want to tell people about Jesus because we're embarrassed to be known as followers of Jesus Christ. We don't want to invite people to come to saving faith because we're ashamed of the gospel. But yet, if you have a genuine love for Christ, if you find him to be more desirable than anything that there is in all of creation, then you would want others to experience having a right relationship with the Lord as well. If, you, if you're embarrassed by Christ, if you're ashamed of Jesus Christ, you will have no desire to let others know him. If you love Jesus, however, you will gladly introduce him to your friends, to your family, or to your coworkers. Which means it's not a lack of ability. It's not a lack of opportunity. Oftentimes, it really truly is a lack of desire. The lack of desire that we have to win the loss can, it's, it's connected to our lack of love for Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. In this scene, we see the friends inviting um, his friend to see Jesus. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Like, you need to invite other people. Because not long from now, Jesus is going to leave them, and he's going to tell them, 
the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations and that he will never leave them or forsake them. He's, in, he, he's trying to teach the disciples what it takes to form a person who is blind to see, to seeing things, which leads us to the second scene. We'll call it illumination. The first scene is the invitation. Second scene is illumination. Verse 23, and taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he was asking him, do you see anything? You see that Jesus went, he acted, he held him by the hand, he brought him out. And I think there's this, I think Jesus was just compassionate for him. He, he was moved by him, so he moved him out to the village. And it's possible that the reason why Jesus did this, it wasn't because he didn't want a crowd. I think he did this because early on, the Pharisees wanted a sign. The Pharisees demanded a sign, and Jesus told them that you'll never get a sign so he moves out of this territory so that he can heal this individual. Um, and then again, this is a sign of judgment on the city. The people there, the religious leaders, did not want to have anything to do with Jesus. So he gets out to a private, secluded place, at least away from the large crowd. And he begins this little healing here. He spits into the eyes of this person. And that may sound gross, to us in, in a lot of ways, but then it was Jesus, it was you know, sanctified, like perfect saliva. Um, but you have to understand also at that time, that's what they thought would heal people. Uh, they, uh, he basically, Jesus in a lot of ways is using something that the world would use, but he redeems it he pro, to show that all of these other healing mechanisms does not work. Rather, it's only from Jesus. And it's, it's his spit, it's this unique thing that he does to really say that he is the only one that can heal him. It's unmistaken that, this is, that he is the one that can do it. I don't know if you heard, there was this YouTube influencer that apparently, he, I don't know if he cured blindness or he paid for people to cure blindness from, from this one particular village. But this guy, uh, no matter what he, how much money he threw in and how many people that he seemed to have cured, it's actually, he can't take full credit because he just... Put, he just gave people money. He didn't create the technology. He didn't even go to the place to administer the medicine. He can't take the glory. Rather, he shares it with other people that come alongside him to do this, um, this, to do this, uh, this, this nice deed. But with Jesus, when he's spitting into this person's eyes, he's the only one that should receive all the glory because it's his own spit. He, he took him out. It's all the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus took this man and he healed him. It all glory goes to Jesus. All of our salvation, we know, also belongs to Christ and Christ alone. And you'll notice that he asked them this question, do you see anything? It's not can you see anything as if like it didn't work out, but rather he said, do you see anything? And, and he, he's not asking in the way that like, if I was to do it, like, is it working? It's not that kind of question. He already knows it's working. He just wants to dialogue with this individual to kind of help him see what's going on. It's a pointed question. And even partial healing is already amazing. When you, and again, he's trying to teach the disciples something even about their own faith. That although sin is blinding and it is corrupting and it, it, it distorts everything that goes on around us, it requires someone to open our eyes, to give us illumination for us to see uh, clearly and see accurately about the world. 
verse 24, and he looked up and was saying, I see men, for I see trees, like tr- them like trees walking around. And it's fascinating because this man begins to start seeing things. He, he starts seeing little bits and pieces of things that's going on. He sees almost like stick figures walking around. It's most likely, the, the, it says men here. Uh, it's, it's most likely the disciples that kind of around this blind man. And, he, and it's fascinating because certain translations translate it kind of weird and wonky, and I think that's intentional because this guy is just so broken and thankful for what he's seeing. He's finally able to see again. He's clearly just by this sentence here, the thing that he said, it tells you that he at one point was able to see because he's able to describe men and he's able to describe trees. He's able to see again. Even though it was like a fuzzy vision, he was still able to see. And this is a joyful experience for him. And I think this parallels the Christian life. A person who's able to see anything spiritual is already something that is worth praising the Lord for. The fact that some of us, when, before we were saved, lived a certain lifestyle, and when the Lord convicted us of sin, when we were brought into the foot of the cross, we realized, yeah, I was living in complete sin. And it's a, it takes time. You may, have these, you may not have complete clarity on every little thing that goes on in your life, but at least you can see. Partial seeing, is, even though it's dim, maybe it might be foggy, but it's still the ability to see. And the believer, the young believer, may not be able to discern everything. They may have this elementary, prince, uh, elementary understanding of the faith, but it's worth praising the Lord for because they can see, we can see, our eyes are open. It's amazing how little requirements that the Bible speaks about in terms of, uh, in terms of having salvation. This, the, the Bible describes the, like a mustard seed faith or a childlike faith. And Jesus is always described as light and to bring people out of darkness. Salvation is, is often illustrated with seeing, the ability to understand, be able to look to truth. And young believers are like that. They start off only seeing a little bit here and there. Everything might, some things are clear and some things are foggy. They might get the picture, but not in complete detail. And I think Jesus, again, this parallel of of the spiritual life with this blind man is supposed to tell the disciples that that's how spiritual life is going to be. You get, you're, you're going from darkness, blindness, to seeing a little bit, and it requires a tremendous amount of patience for them to grow, to see things rightly. And that's what the Christian life is like. I hope that what, how you look at the world, how you look at the things of the world, is radically more mature and different and more biblical than let's say five years ago. And I hope that if you're a believer for at least 10 years, that this is that you can see that your life is different, the way that you, your outlook on the world, your outlook about the stresses of life and the difficulties and even the good things in life, that you can look at those things through a biblical lens, that your eyes are open so that you can see truth in the way that God wants you to see. You can see that progression from your first year of a believer to where you are now. Because it's, it is concerning if the way that you look at the world is exactly the same as when you first believed. It should be that as you're part of the church, as you're learning about God, as you're meditating on scripture, as you're fellowshipping with one another, as you hear preaching, go to Sunday school, whatever it may be, as you're learning more about God's word, it should change the way that you look at the world. And if it doesn't, then that is concerning. 
before the rest of us. We can praise the Lord. At one point, the Lord gave us illumination, which goes to at least our last point. First is, in at least, illumination, and third is sanctification. I know it doesn't start with an I, but it rhymes at least. Sanctification, verse 25 to 26. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and looked intently and was restored. He began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And this is, you can see just that, that progression from blindness to seeing things a little bit blurry to complete clarity. That is the life of the Christian, isn't it? And he tells them that he laid his hands upon his eyes or on his eyes and he looked up. This person finally looked up. He gazed upon everything around him. He was able to see again. It was completely healed. It's restored. Again, the, the word restored here implies that at one point he lost it. He began to see everything. This word to see is actually in, it's, it's ongoing just imagine if this person began to see, he was looking around and trying to like, look up in the sky and see the clouds again and be able to look down and see the dirt and see people walking around him, people staring at him and wondering uh, what's going on. He's able to see again. He sees everything clearly. And yet Jesus tells him to go back to his home and do not even uh, enter the village. Now this is interesting because how is he going to go home if he not to enter the village? And I think, I think Jesus is telling him that uh, just enjoy this moment. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when you go back, people are going to know that he's, not, that he's not blind anymore. And I think this is part of, again, what Jesus does with the disciples or people that he's healed, the people that become followers of him, is that he doesn't want people to think that Jesus came for just the, the physical healing. Uh, the intent of this, I think, yes, is to heal and to give this person grace, but it's to teach the disciples a valuable lesson just about how the progression grow, uh, of, of our faith goes. It just takes time for some of us. We all have a lot of growth to do, and what was once dim and unclear will eventually become clear as we mature in the faith. There was um, a study that went on for all these people that were healed from their blindness, and how they basically entered back into the world. Um, and for a lot of these guys that were formerly blind, it was interesting because they aren't, they, they're able to discern things based on how it feels. And gradually they had to train themselves to know that this is an object as opposed to a picture. Because they'll show them a picture and say, is this a square or is it a picture of a square? And it will take them time to be able to discern what the, what is an actual physical object that's before them or, a replica or, or some sort of picture. Um, so it takes time for them to develop that skill. And that's kind of like how our spiritual life is as well. As we think about our spiritual life, there are going to be things that just aren't clear, but gradually we have to train our minds and train our eyes to see things the way that they are. And it's, it takes effort and it takes time and we have to trust that the Lord will, will work those things out. And I think this entire parallel from this blind man to our own uh, spiritual life, we understand that, that the, the Christian life is, is not an easy life, but it's life worth living because we went from living in darkness to living in light, that we were blinded by our sin, 
and then we were rescued, so then now we can see what the world is like. Now, as we link about this parallel in our own life, I have, I have to ask us, which one are you? Are you someone that have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ? In other words, are you in need of the ability to see? Are you still lost in darkness? If you look back at your own life, do you see some sort of progression? Because I know that for some of us, we can have this false assumption that we actually can see, but in reality, our lives are still darkened. If you don't see any illumination in your life, you don't see any sanctification in your life, you don't really care about the things of the Lord, I have to wonder if you even are a believer. Is, is, are the things to, about the Lord endearing to you? Are you excited about the things of God? Because only people that can see, only people that can understand truth, that can discern God's will, they're the only people that can see objectively. They're the only people that can know how the world is supposed to be. But if you see yourself, you think back in your own life, and there's no change from you coming and even saying a prayer, you see no difference in your life, then it's possible that you are still blinded by your sin. And if that is you, if you're in that first category, I would plead with you to ask the Lord to open your eyes so that you can see him and know him and see yourself for who you are, which is at this point an enemy of God, and that at the right time Christ came to rescue us so that we can have a right relationship with him. And for others of you, I ask this question, are you in need to see things clearly? There are times in our life that we, uh, and I understand as a Christian and as a pastor that it takes time to grow, but what I do hope for all of us is that we don't become complacent in our faith, that we're always challenging ourselves in knowing God and, and, and delighting in him and knowing his word more, uh, because in knowing who he is, then we'll begin to see life more clearly. And that, that should be the rest of us. It's either you're blinded by your sin or you can see uh, the truth for what it is. And if that's you, how are you challenging yourself so that you can be a more mature believer years from now? Again, just even from my own uh, personal life, I know as a pastor I get the privilege to study God's word, but even for me, I need to make time to study God's word without any, without any, like, um, treat it, treat God's word not as like a job. Like I need to actually study and uh, for my own purposes, for my own soul, and not just for the sake of preaching, but really so that I can have a commune, uh, have a, uh, a commune with the Lord and be close to him. And that takes effort. And I'm saying that, I'm letting you know that it, it doesn't come naturally for all of us. We have to ask God for the grace so that we can be sanctified as we continue to grow in our journey uh, in this life. And I hope that for all of us that are believers here, that we, that we keep making that as a discipline in our life, that we make the time, make the effort, we ask God for the grace to do it, and yes, as you grow in, your, as your, as you grow in the faith, you'll, been to, you'll begin to see life more and more clearly. That's why when I look at older saints, there's such sobriety and solemnity in the way that they speak to us. They're, like things that I'm panicking and worried about, you, you talk with Billy, well, that's, not, that's nothing, that's nothing. And that's the reason, why are you so calm? It's because like, it's he's lived long enough to see God's faithfulness. 
And it takes time for him to learn and, and you know, for all of us the same way. You know, older saints, they've been in the faith longer so they can instruct us uh, in our walk as well. But in order for you to get to that stage where you can actually pour out to others years down the line, it requires you to be sanctified uh, through, the, through God's word, that you know him, that you put off sin, that you study God's word, that you know that, that your, mind is just, um, just, your mind expands more as you grow in the faith. So I hope that's, that this parallel for us is helpful, that you understand at one point that you, someone invited you to come to Saving Faith, and God opened your eyes so that you can see him, and afterwards the Lord sanctifies you in this life. And as you look at this parallel, we praise the Lord that this is our life as well. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Thank you, God, for your word again. Lord, thank you that by your grace and your sovereign timing that you, that you brought us to you, whether it's providentially by, with friends or family or teachers or um, classmates or coworkers, that you brought someone into our life to preach the gospel to us so that we will know you. And I pray, Lord, for all of us here as well that we would be that friend that would invite people to your kingdom. Help us be bold. Help us love you more so that we're able to tell others about you. Help us not be ashamed of the gospel. And Lord, we're thankful that through the invitation of the, of the gospel that we had received illumination, that we begin to know who you are, we begin to see things, although imperfectly, that you work in our lives so that gradually we become more and more sanctified to be more like your son that we have the mind of Christ, that we will become more and more like him in the way that we think and the way that we act and the things that we love most. Help us in our walk this day. In your son's precious name, amen.